I want to thank those who gave me the birthday card today. Those of you who signed it, and I appreciate it. My 12th birthday, spiritually, 12 years ago today, I had something that I've never gotten over. You know, I thank the Lord that I'm not confused anymore. I used to live in confusion and frustrations and doubts, but not anymore. And if anybody here tonight is in that confusion about your salvation, your eternal state, you're of all people most miserable. And folks, there's nothing better than knowing you're saved. Knowing if you die of a heart attack tonight, everything will be all right. I want you to turn with me, if you would please, in your Bible for the message this evening in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Is this thing loud enough? Can you hear me all right? I'm about preached to where I'm hoarse, but that's all right. I'm having a good time doing it. And the type message I'm going to preach this evening is a lot different from the others that I've been preaching. But God's laid this one on my heart, and I love it. I love the, the thought of it. And since this is my spiritual birthday, I'm going to preach to you something about salvation. And I've tried to do this every year. I'm just still a child in the Lord, and I never let my birthday go by unless I remind folks of it. And I like to tell people about the day I got saved. And if you're saved, I believe that you do. But what I want to share with you tonight is a sermon I call Salvation Without Confusion. Now I want you to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 at verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Now turn with me to the book of James. We'll see the same word translated for confusion. The book of James chapter 3, as we begin reading in verse 14, but if ye have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Now let me give you the word that's translated here for confusion. But before I do, let me say what Paul said. God is not the author of confusion. It is not God's intention to confuse you. But there are times when you get confused and we'll find the source of confusion. But the New Testament word for confusion is the word disorder. Disorder. Anytime you find confusion, you find disorder. That's the meaning of the word. Now everything God ever does, he puts in order. And that's the reason there's a salvation without disorder. And if you ever find God's order and God puts you in order, there won't be any confusion in it. Now, I know that some of you know what disorder is. Have you women 
ever left your kitchen dishes and didn't wash them? <laughs> Don't lie now, I know better. <laughs> Have you ever left your bedroom all messed up? Disorder, wasn't it? Give you an illustration. One time we had a little girl spend the night party at our house. And they brought all their sleeping bags and all their extra clothes, all their pajamas and everything. The next morning when I passed the bedroom where the little girls were sleeping, I was almost in a state of shock. When we'd gone to bed the night before, everything was in order. But the next morning, everything was in disorder. I looked in, and I saw legs going every direction and arms. I saw them upside down, bottom side up. I saw the, the lamp that was supposed to be on the dresser over in the corner laying lopsided with its shade turned sideways. I saw total chaos. I saw sleeping bags in one place. I saw their clothes where they'd taken them off and put on their pajamas, scattered, some hanging half on the dresser and half off. I mean, that's hanging everywhere. It was a mess. My first thought was, close the door and forget it. Now, that's the way a lot of people are on their salvation. They want to close the door of their heart and forget the chaos and the confusion. Yeah. Well, it won't go away for your information. That's the reason I didn't close the door. I knew I'd get around to it more sooner or later. Amen. So, you know, the first thing I did, I called my wife. <laughs> hey, had to have help, Amen. Right. That's when you got to have help in this business, and the only one help you is the Holy Ghost. I got to have help to set everything in order, because I don't even know what the order is without Him. I didn't even know what the order was in the bedroom without her, but I knew she knew what it was. So the two of us tackled it together. And the first thing I had to do was to get an overall view of the room. And when I saw it, I was much discouraged. <laughs> but I knew something had to happen. Number one, we had to find what belonged to who. Good. Right? That's all right. <laughs> hey, first I had to find out what kids belonged to who. <laughs> I had to get all the kids up and out that didn't belong to us. And then second, I had to find the belongings, and Rachel did, that belonged to which kid and give it to them. I know that's the same way you are with the devil. See, your life, God puts in order. There's a salvation order. Amen. And when God puts you in order, 
There is a harmonious arrangement of attitudes and graces inside you. But the devil puts some junk inside you and some stuff inside you that doesn't belong in there and that causes confusion. But all you got to do is throw out what belongs to the devil. Amen. 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 And if he won't have it back, junk it. After we found what belonged to who, then we had to find what belonged where. And that's where I turned it over to her. But there's something else I found. It was easy to pick up some things and difficult to pick others. So we had to deal with one thing at a time. And it was kind of humorous because you'd end up with one thing under your arm, one thing in this hand, one thing under this arm, and something else in the other hand. But I found there was one difficulty. Some one of those kids, and I call them kids. They're not Billy Goats to me. I call a kid a child. <laughs> one of those kids had spilled Kool-Aid on the carpet. And the one of it written on the wall. That like hand them to the highest tree. But if you get the stain out of the carpet and you get the mark out of the wall, you had to do some scrubbing. Well, some things in your life may not be easy. It may take the scrubbing of the Holy Ghost. And it may take the cleaning of the Spirit of God. But if you'll set in to do it, the Holy Ghost will set you in order. Amen. Now, I want to show you how the Holy Ghost arranges you. If you study the Scriptures, Paul said, The Scriptures make you wise unto salvation. That's the Old Testament, not the New because there wasn't any New Testament at the time. Old Testament shows you the order. And the New Testament shows you what salvation is after you receive it. Now the only way I know what the salvation order is, is study the Old Testament. Because it's filled with types, figures, and foreshadows. And the reason so many are mixed up, confused, and frustrated, they don't even know what an order is. They don't know what the order is if there is one. Well, praise God, there is one, ladies and gentlemen. And it's the ministry of the Holy Ghost to set you in order. You say, well, I didn't know what that order was. You didn't have to. The Holy Ghost knows what it is. He just arranges you and you find out what it is. Amen. 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 All right, but we're going to show you the ministry of the Spirit of God. Now, there are many illustrations in the Old Testament, like the tabernacle. The story of the tabernacle is the approach of salvation. The ministry of the temple, the same as the tabernacle, is an order of salvation. The serpent in the wilderness, the Passover in Egypt. But I want to take one that the fulfillment is 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where Paul said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Now, let it suffice to say this. You can't get saved and not know it. If you ever get saved, you're going to know it. You may not know all about it, but you're sure going to know it. But the reason you're going to know it is the Holy Ghost put you in order. 
The word for creature, new creature, is the word creation. Let's go back to the book of Genesis and see the order. Genesis chapter 1. Now, Genesis chapter 1 deals with the order of creation. How God created the universe. God could have done it instantly, but he didn't. God took six days and rested the seventh. Why did he do that? Same way in salvation. The Holy Ghost works attitudes inside you and sets you in order progressively till he brings you to believe it. Now, I'm not one of these fellows who believes some are predestinated to go to heaven, some people predestinated to go to hell. I don't believe that. Amen. Brother, I believe the gospel is to whosoever will. Amen. But I also believe you can't get saved without the Holy Ghost. Amen. You got to have Holy Ghost conviction in order to get saved. All right, but let's look at it. He said in the beginning, that means the time, you always got to have a time. God tells you who created, tells you what he did, the heaven and the earth. Now look at verse number two. This is the condition of the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now let's break that verse down. And he said in the earth was without form and void. In Isaiah 34, 11, the same two Hebrew words that are translated for form and void are translated confusion and emptiness. You say the earth was confused? That's exactly right. And the New Testament word which speaks of confusion, and the word confusion means disorder, disarrangement, is the word lost. Brother, before you're saved, you're lost. And a state of confusion you're already in. You say, but preacher, I thought God wasn't the author of confusion. He's not. You'll confuse mess before he ever saves you. He's not going to confuse you. You're already confused. I mean, you in a condition of confusion. Your mind's confused. Your heart's confused. Your life's confused. But second, the word emptiness means without God's life. And that's a New Testament word for dead. Before God ever saves you, you're dead in trespasses and sins. You don't have the life of God inside you. You say, well, why don't I know it? Same reason the earth couldn't be seen. It had darkness on the face of the deep. And the Bible said the God of this world hath blinded the minds of those that believe not. If you've never been saved, you're blinded. You say blinded to what? Blinded to your own condition. You don't even see yourself. You think you're all right. You don't think there's anything wrong with you. But the truth is, you're confused and empty and don't know it. You're dead and lost and don't know it. Amen. You say, well, why's God going to leave me in that mess? Thank God he's not going to leave you in that mess. He didn't leave the earth in that mess. Right. Right. He was chaotic, confusion, 
emptiness and darkness. But one of my favorite phrases, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. And that word for moved is a word that means set down on. You have been set down on by the Holy Ghost? <laughs> Brother, if he ever sits down on you, you're going to know it. Amen. The word means engulf. To encircle, it's a word translated over in Deuteronomy for the eagle fluttering his wings. Boy, it means just hovering over, hovering over, hovering over. Well, thank God Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll reprove the world of sin. And if he ever reproves you of sin, he's going to set out on you. You say, well, what's he going to do? Same thing God did. The first day, now first step number one, order. First day, what did God do? Anybody here know what he did? Light. You say, boy, that wasn't much to do. Oh, yeah. God said, let there be light. And there, thank you, was light. All right. And God divided the light from the darkness. And the light he called, and the darkness he called, and the evening and the morning were? Boy, that's, that's all God did first day. Turn the light on. You say, well, have we got to turn the light on? Dispel the darkness. And when the darkness was dispelled, you could see the confusion and the emptiness. But the truth is, the light didn't make the confusion. It only revealed it. It didn't make the emptiness, it only revealed it. Because light doesn't make a condition, it reveals a condition. What is the first work in a sinner? Reproval. John 16, Jesus said, It is necessary, it's expedient is the word, that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I'll send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. And the word for reprove means to expose and put to shame and lay the blame on. But the first meaning of the word means to turn the light on. Hey, you ever had God turn the light on inside you? I hear some people say, it dawned on me I was lost. <laughs> hey, I got news for you. You was lost before it dawned on you. I love that phrase. I hear them say it all the time. Man, it dawned on me I was lost. When God turns the light on inside you, you see you're confusing. And the first thing you want to do is blame the devil. Well, I know I'm all right because God's not the author of confusion. I wouldn't be confused. Uh, uh, God didn't confuse you. You confuse before God ever moves on you. But when he turns a light on you, you see your confusion. That's like at Pentecost. When the Holy Ghost fell at Pentecost, the Bible said they were amazed. And that word amazed means confused. Amazed means mixed up. It means to mix together something. You say, but I thought God wasn't the author of confusion. He's not. They were mixed up about the Holy Ghost when the Holy Ghost moved, but the Holy Ghost wasn't mixed up about what he's doing. And afterward, they weren't mixed up. 
And when the Holy Ghost starts moving on you, brother, and shows you yourself, you're confused and you're a mess and you're mixed up and you're empty and you're dead and you're lost, but you don't know it until he turns the light on. First thing the Holy Ghost does is show you yourself. You say, well, that's not a very pleasant sight. I know it's not. Oh, the Bible said men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And will not come into the light unless their deeds should be reproved. You know, only a man who knows his loss appreciates light. Right. <laughs> but you have to have the light to reveal to you what's wrong with you before you want to come to it. You say, but preacher, I don't understand that. Yes, you do. That's your trouble now. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember when inside your heart you knew something's missing? That's emptiness. Oh, you may not even know the word reproval, but you sure knew there's an emptiness in you. And brother, you knew you was mixed up. You was confused. And when the light came on, you like a bunch of cockroaches, if you know what those are. You ever, gone to, you ever lived in a house where they had a bunch of water bugs or cockroaches? You hadn't, you just hadn't been poor enough, I don't guess, or what. Even those things get in rich homes. Have you ever gone in the kitchen, flipped the switch, and boy, when the light came on those bugs, and they bump into each other, choo, 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 right, right, confused. They don't even know which way to go. Well, when God turns the light on in a person, he's confused, he's frustrated, and he's empty, and knows something is missing in his life. And if it's a ministry of the Holy Ghost, there can't anyone satisfy that emptiness but Jesus Christ. Brother, if it's a Holy Ghost, there can't anybody set you straight from your confusion except the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first work was turn the light on. And it just means somewhere, at some time, God shows you yourself and you're confused and you're empty. You say, well, preacher, that's a mess. I know, but that was just first day. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. I'm glad for the day God turned the light on inside me and showed me myself. Man, it took me from 1957 to 1974. I haven't found out what it was. You say, why? Because I tried to tell God what was wrong with me, and he'd show me all the time. I kept trying to tell him I wasn't confused, but I was. I was, I'd never had a place where I trusted Jesus as my personal Savior. And a man is really confused if he tries to persuade himself that he's saved, but he's never trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He's really mixed up. And he's really lost and he's really dead. Now, I'm not going to take you through the order of the universe. I want to tell you what else Jesus says is necessary for salvation. Don't miss this. Because I believe with all of my soul that God wants to save somebody here tonight. I really do. Man, we've had a glorious day today. It's really been glory. But ever since last night, I've been concerned about some folks. And we had a glory time last night. That dear lady got saved here last night. Make this whole thing worthwhile. Just one had gotten saved. That'd have been enough. That lady got saved this morning. Made it worthwhile. But listen, folks. Jesus is the one who taught us something about order. What else did Jesus say about except reproval? Jesus said, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. 
I don't believe you can play leapfrog over repentance toward God to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This word for repentance is over in 2 Corinthians 7.10 where the scripture says godly sorrow worketh repentance. You say you believe in sa emotions in salvation? If there weren't any emotions in your salvation, you're still not saved. You say, but salvation is not based on emotion. It's sure not. But there were some emotions that worked to repentance in you. You say, it's just a little tingling goosebumps. No, the word for sorrow means grief. You say, well, how much sorrow did you have to have? Enough to repent. Amen. And if it's godly sorrow, it means that to a godly sorrow, it worketh repentance. I love that word for worketh. Worketh. Worketh repentance. It means to make something out of something else. Best illustration I can give, you won't work it from one thing to another. There's an illustration of my mother. When I was a little boy, just big enough to peep over the table in the kitchen. I was small at one time, you understand. <laughs> my mother made homemade biscuits. She didn't know what what biscuits were. You know the kind you hit on the corner of the table and take out of a can and lay on a gray sheet. <laughs> Only kind she knew is homemade. She'd go over to the old safe. She had one pan she made them in. Take the sifter. She'd build a mountain of flour. Go over to the lard. Take some out, place it in there, and then pour some milk. Now, Mother didn't make them with a spoon. She made them with her hands. She made sure her hands were clean. And then she'd take both hands and work the dough, it's called. And it, I'd always go, ooey gooey. What a mess that is. I'd see her squeeze it and squeeze it and squeeze it. And it'd squirt through her fingers, you know, and all this. And I'd just screams and screams and screams. And she'd work it. And she did something I never was able to understand. About halfway through, she'd take her hands out and clean one finger at a time. Every one of them. And as soon as she cleaned the last one, she put her hands right back in it again and started working it all over. I didn't understand that at all. But she worked it, and she worked it, and she worked it until she worked it up into a ball. After she worked it into a ball, she pinched off some, placed it in her floured hand, rolled it around, mashed it flat, and then patted it. And they didn't know why she did that either. Laid it on a grease sheet. Finally, she had them all done that way, placed them in an oven. When she brought them out, I forgot about what was necessary to make them. Amen. But my mother had taken some ingredients, worked them together, and produced something out of those ingredients called biscuits. And godly sorrow, heavenly grief caused by the Holy Ghost all over your spirit. Heaviness, heaviness. And it gets so bad that some people can't eat, they can't sleep, they can't do anything else. And it's not just emotions that run up and down in here. It's all over your spirit. It's such a heaviness that it changes your mind. 
And repentance means a change of mind. And a change of mind about God, about sin, and about yourself. And if you're trusting in anything else other than the shed blood of Jesus Christ, He'll work that out of you. Like you say, well, I'm just as good as anybody else. The Holy Ghost says, let me work on that a while. You say, I think that night, Lord. (laughs) What's wrong with me? Well, I've been baptized. I'm as good as anybody. The Holy Ghost says, let me work at baptism. Oh, salvation, not my baptism. Well, you know what? I'm as good as anybody walking on two legs. The Holy Ghost says, let me work on that one a while. After he gets through with you, you're going to hate sin with a passion. See, if you ever really saved, and that's the only kind of salvation there is, really saved. <laughs> hey, it's not degrees of salvation, you're either saved or lost, amen? Hey, you say, I don't know how to put it in words, you don't have to. I'm trying to tell you what's done to you, not what you do. You just go along with it, see? And that's not whatever going to be going to be. You do the believing, but God does the saving. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't even save yourself one for the I mean get saved one for the Holy Ghost. And so the Holy Spirit works a change of mind. Now the order is first, God shows you yourself in reproval. Second, He shows you that you need Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And brother, your mind is changed about repentance. Now I'm gonna come back to repentance in my closing illustration. But let it suffice to say this. There's never been anybody saved unless they had a change of mind about sin and then turned toward the Savior. The Bible says repentance toward God and the word toward means facing. And dear friend, if you've ever been saved, there was a time when you faced God about your sin problem. But I'm going to come back and pick up another word too. Now, the next word I'm going to show you is the word reception. I'm going to come back to it. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those of them that believe upon his name. And dear friend, there must be a time when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And it means what Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And Paul said repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus, which means facing. But whenever you believe somewhere at some time, whenever you receive somewhere at some time, then the rest of the order is going to set in. You say, what's the rest of the order? Well, Jesus told his disciples in Luke 24, to preach repentance and remission of sins in Jesus' name. And the word remission means to set free. It means to sever the sinner from his sin. And it carries the idea of forgiveness. Brother, if God's ever saved you, he forgave you of your sins. And he cleansed you. And he washed you. Nobody had to tell you. That you were clean, you knew it. I will tell you, Jesus hadn't done anything else for me than what he did for me the day he saved me and cleansed me. That would have been enough. That would have been enough because I lived with shame and guilt of a past life as a teenager. But I want to thank God tonight that when I trusted Jesus that day, 2401 Bryan Street, that I experienced the remission of sins.
You say, well, I wouldn't have known to call it remission. No, you probably wouldn't have, but let me tell you what would have happened inside of you. That would come a consciousness and an attitude. I've been forgiven through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I've been cleansed. I've been changed. You may not even know how to say it anymore than what one little old boy said. He put his hand on his heart and he said, The Lord Jesus ran the devil clean out of me. <laughs> Heard another say, I don't know what happened. You call it saved, I know I'm saved, but said it's a burning deep down in my soul. Call it whatever you want to call it, but the Bible calls it the remission of sins, the separating of the sin from the sinner. But it's not just remission. Jesus said there's something else. Jesus said there's going to be regeneration. He called it born again. In John chapter 3, the book of Titus says the washing of regeneration. And it means to make all things new. Dear friends, that instant when it comes in, there comes a new life inside of you. And when you start facing life and living, you're going to find there's a new liver inside of you. Amen. Amen. So how am I going to act out? You don't even know how you're going to act until after you get saved. Somebody says, well, I'll live it. Or when I think I can live it, I'll get saved. No, sir, Ray, you get saved, then you live it. You say, well, I don't know whether I can or not. No, after you get saved, then you'll find out you can. But as long as you try to figure out before time, you can't. <laughs> I don't even know how I'm doing it. I'm doing it by the faith of the Son of God and the power of the Holy Ghost. But oh, there's a newness. There's a newness deep down in your soul when God saves you. But then there's another order. There's rest. I talked about this last night. Hebrews 4 said, They that believed have entered into rest. And there's a consciousness. It's over. It's done. Nothing can be added to it. And nothing can be taken away. But you say, but somebody come along and told me there's more to it than that. Well, the devil put something in there that's not supposed to be in there. Throw it out and get back to God's order and you won't have any trouble. Uh-huh. Somebody come along and says, would you talk in tongues? I said, no, I didn't. I said, well, you're not saved. Uh-huh, devil put that in there. I'm going to throw that junk away. That has nothing to do with salvation. He said, that's Nick. Come show me after service. Not right now, because I've never seen it, and I've studied it and studied it. Jesus said, if you believe on me, I'll birth you into the family of God. I'll make you a new creature and give you the Holy Ghost that instant when you believe. And you'll enter into rest. You say, but now, preacher, you can't know that when that happens. You mean tell me all that can happen to you and you not know it? <laughs> now, let me tell you what happens. Now, I want to point out two things, give you an illustration, and I'll be through. There's two things got to happen. Now, don't miss this. Two things got to happen. You got to repent. Now, both of them has two sides, I better say, too. You've got to repent, and God's got to repent. Any of you folks ever heard that? Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, some of you, some of you had. And brother, what I'm thinking, show you tonight, God's got to repent about you. Or are you not saved yet? <laughs> you say, I didn't know God repented. I'm fixing short to you. But you've got to receive Jesus, and he's got to receive you. Huh? And if you can do it and not know it, you're saying he can do it and not know it. Because God doesn't repent till you do, and Jesus doesn't receive you till you receive him. Oh, isn't that good? Amen. <laughs> hey, you say, where'd you get that? 
Hadn't you ever studied the scripture where God repents? Study Old Testament sometime. Read Genesis 6. First time mentioned God repented. Read the book of Jonah. That's a classic. Jesus said about the preaching of Jonah, said the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. But then you read the book of Jonah, the third chapter in the last verse, and it said, and God repented. That's what it said. And God repented. But now Samuel says, God's not a man that he should repent. See, God doesn't repent of sin because he's never sinned. The Bible said he repented of the evil he said he'd do to them. And did it not. What God does, God repents of what he said he's going to do to you, and he does it not. You say, but I thought the Bible said he's the unchanging God. He is. God doesn't change. And what, cha- what doesn't change about God is his changeableness when man repents. Amen. <laughs> hey, the psalmist said God repents according to the multitude of his mercies. When you study the mercy of God, you find out that God repents and changes his mind when man repents. Amen. You say, well, what God said he's going to do to you, Charles? He told me he's going to pour the wrath of God out on me and put me in hell. That's what he said, wasn't it? Amen. And the Bible said, he that believed on him is not condemned. And before I believed, I was condemned under the judgment of God, under the, under the condemnation and sentence of hell was passed out on me. Right. But I came to God. I came to God. I repented. I repented. And when I repented, God said, I do too. <laughs> when I changed my mind about sin... He changed his mind about what he said he's going to do to me. You say, why? Because I saved according to his abundant mercy by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when I trusted the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, God forgives according to the abundance of his mercy. He changes his mind according to the abundance of his mercy. And when he saved me by his mercy, he changed his mind about what he said he's going to do to me. And he won't ever do it. He won't ever put the wrath of God out on me. And he won't ever put me in hell. Why? Because God repented. Hallelujah. I'm glad I know he repented. You say, how do you know? Because he never would have saved me if he hadn't repented about it. (laughs) I'll say he repented by my repentance. That's the reason this crowd who are trying to pull the wool over God's eyes and get to him without him knowing it are in for a shock. Yeah. Huh, isn't this something? Somebody comes to the altar and says, okay, God saved me. And then six weeks later, they're going back to living like they were and never bothered them. They call themselves saved. Dear brother, you didn't repent of anything. And if you're with Mason, God didn't repent either. Because God only repents according to the honesty and the sincerity of your repentance. To something else. And you say that in the Old Testament. God repents, folks, according to the abundance of his mercy. And God changes his mind about what he said he would do to an individual, and he does it not. But the other is, he must receive you. You say, well, where do you get that idea? Don't you know what happened at Calvary? Don't miss this. 
Sometimes when you don't have anything else to study, you study the sweet smell savor offerings in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. You study Ephesians 5.1 how Christ was our sweet smelling savor offering. Because you see, you won't even understand Christ being the sin offering until you understand the sin offering of the book of Leviticus. But Jesus is my sin offering. And He's my burnt offering. And He's my peace offering. And He's my trespass offering. And He's my meal offering. Thank God He's everything. But here's what would happen. Watch this. In the Old Testament, when the man was ready to bring his sweet-smelling savor offering, let's say it is burnt offering, that's his perfection offering. He recognized that he was imperfect. In our day, we'd call it recognizing your sin. He goes to his own herd and picks out a perfect bullock without spot and without disease because God requires perfection. The man knows he's imperfect. He recognizes what God requires in the order. So he picks his bullet, takes it, comes to the very door of the tabernacle. And the first piece of furniture that you find is the brazen altar, which is a symbol of the cross. And it was there where the man brought his bullet. And when he arrived, he had mixed emotions because he knew he was imperfect. But he knew his sacrifice was perfect. He knew that in him he was separated from God. But through his sacrifice he'd have peace with God. He knew he was separated because of his sin. But he had a sin offering with him. So the man came. And when he came with his bullet, he had to do something. Now don't miss this and you'll understand the New Testament phrase, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on Him. When he came... He had to take his hand and put his hand on the head of the sacrifice, thus identifying with it, saying, it's mine, it's mine. I'm not perfect, but he is. Therefore, I receive this substitute as mine. That's the reason you can't receive Jesus Christ without knowing it. Oh, but as many as received Him, believe on Him, trust on Him, receive Him. This man had the attitude, live, die, sink or swim. It's going to be all on you. God requires perfection, and I'm not perfect. But if you're perfect, sacrifice, God will look at you on the altar and accept me. Is that right? What was it the man wanted? He wanted to be accepted by God. Amen. He knew God had accepted or rejected him according to the condition of his sacrifice. That's the reason he picked the one out he wanted. And that's the reason I know in whom I have believed. Well, I wasn't going to trust just anybody. Oh, not just anybody. I found as one sacrifice a sweet-smelling savor that's been perfect and God the Father received it. But that man knew. Oh, he knew. Heaven and hell depended on his substitute. So he put his hand on it. And then he killed it. And the priest took it. 
Then they cut it apart. I mean, they cut it apart and they tore it apart. And they went through the entrails of it. They had a probing fork and they went through it. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, they searched it inside and they searched it outside because God Almighty required perfection. And after they had laid on the altar what God required, the fire of God consumed it. And you know what the Bible says? It was a sweet smelling savor in the nostrils of God. In other words, God said, I approve of that which you have on the altar. I approve of the sacrifice you accepted. I approve of the one you put your hand on. I approve of the one you believed on. And when you accepted it, now I'm going to accept you through your substitute. And see, God won't receive you till you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Nothing more and nothing less. Nothing but the blood of Jesus and wash your sins away. Amen. And I can see God in him watching that man as he goes out, gets his book, watches him coming, and he puts his hand on it. And here's the point where the man says, I receive, I accept. And then God up there in heaven looking at his perfect sacrifice. And God says, I accept what you've given. And through it, I'll take you. That's exactly what happened when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. God the Father received me because I received His Son. You say, how do you know that? Because He washed me and He cleansed me. And there's not but one sacrifice can take away sins. And that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. say, but I don't know where I saved you, you're just not saved. If you don't know where it was, you're not saved, there's no way you can be saved, you in your right mind. And if you think you can be saved and I know where it was, you're not in your right mind. Because that's saying, you can come before God and not know it and then die and go to God and say, let me into heaven. And God says, Why? You say, but God, you've got to let me in. God says, why? Well, you know, God, you know, I've always believed in you. God says, when did you receive my son? That's all I meant to. Well, God said, I can't receive you till you receive my son. Amen. See, what do you think you're going to do when you die? See, God knows whether or not you've repented. And you do too. What's going to thrill me is when I die. And they take me to heaven. And I know this, I know it's not going to happen. Well, no, I know one of the angels is not going to come over and say, you can't be here. But if he did, if one of the angels came over and said, you can't stay here, I'd say, go get God. So I can see God the Father coming over and God the Son, God the Holy Ghost coming over. Say, what is it, angel? 
Angel said, Charles Shipman thinks he's supposed to have a place up here. And Charles Shipman says he's repented and he's trusted Jesus. I don't know to let him in or not. And I can hear God the Holy Ghost say, you let him in. Because at 2401 Bryan Street, Tupelo, Mississippi, he repented of his sins and trusted the Son, didn't he, Lord Jesus? And Lord Jesus said, yes, he did. He believed on me. He trusted me. He exercised his faith on me out of his heart, out of his heart. And when he believed on me, I knew it. And God the Father would say, yes, he changed his mind. And I changed mine. 1130, 1970, Wednesday morning, when he changed his, I changed mine. And when he accepted Jesus, I accepted him, made him my son. Angel, let him in. <laughs> you say, you know you're going to heaven? Yeah. You say, how you know? Because God knows I am. <laughs> That's right. And I not only know that I'm saved, I know that God knows I'm saved. Amen. Say, so how do you know that? He let me know that in this book. And he never would have saved me if I hadn't repented and he repented. And I received him and he received me. You say, but preacher, every man's experience is different. That's exactly right. But that's the reason, ladies and gentlemen, Every man is brought to the Lord Jesus by the Holy Ghost his own way. You don't ever compare circumstances. You compare principles. There's never been a person saved unless he knew he's lost. All right, now by that, he knew he's empty. He knew there's something missing. And he's confused, trying to find out, sense of direction. And then one day, that person came to the realization Christ died for his sins. And he believed on it. All right, now that can be, Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, have mercy on my soul. Lord, I believe. Whatever it is. Because it's not what comes out the mouth. It's the attitude of the heart in the belief. And so the preacher got to say the right words. Well, if that's true, the old boy I met down in Houston, Texas is still not saved. Was that fellow I met down in Houston, Texas, couldn't even talk. He couldn't hear. All he could go was, yeah, 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 yeah. That's all he could do. But as soon as I got on there and they told him that I was an evangelist with some kind of sign language, man, he lit up like a neon light. And he went over and turned me around, looked me right in the face, and his eyes just a beaming, pointed to his heart and pointed up toward heaven and said, yeah, 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 yeah. Man, I, that's the first time I was ever able to interpret, yeah, 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 yeah. Amen. I don't tell you, that fellow got saved without any, yes, I do, or God forgive me of my sin. It was an attitude of heart. But God can forgive a man of his sins if he can't speak a word. Amen. So see, we're not trying to say, you got to pray this little prayer, you got to do this. We're just saying that somewhere, you got to repent of your sin. Somewhere you got to receive Jesus Christ. And somewhere at that instant, God's going to forgive you and change you. And you'll never be the same again. Now, I'm not going to give all my testimony. Take too long. And these folks around here, most of them know it as well as I do. I've given so many times around here. But as long as I come to this camp, 
or anywhere else I go, I'm going to tell folks what Jesus has done for me. But you see, I preached 15 years before I ever got saved. You say, but preacher, how in the world did you do that? Well, the church, is where I, the church where I joined, the Baptist church where I joined, man, they didn't even talk to us about salvation. They didn't tell us what salvation was. I went down the aisle, and the preacher said, you trust in Jesus as your Savior? Well, I went to get baptized, because my buddy said to me, Charles, won't you go get baptized when we do? So I went to get baptized, and the preacher said, you trust in Jesus? And I said, yes. He said, good. He said, I'm filled out the card. And I said, I'm filled out a card, and it stood me in the line. And I remember, so it was last night, wondering what all the people who was coming by shaking hands with me and hugging my neck were so happy about. Well, I wasn't happy because I didn't know anything about salvation. I went till I was 15, started teaching my own age group. When I was 18, started preaching. Didn't know what salvation was. I started preaching under the pressure of my mother and the pastor and the deacon. But I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. It wasn't until the first church I pastored in 1957 that God started dealing with me and turned the light on in my soul. And there came an emptiness. I mean an emptiness I'd never had before. And I was so confused. I was so mixed up. I was, oh, everybody just told me, as long as you believe, everything's all right. But I knew there's something wrong, but I didn't know what. So I decided during those days, I need to be, make a better preacher. So I went on to college, and I went on to seminary. And over the years, I pastored different churches. But I had periods of depression. And the Holy Ghost kept saying, if you died right now, what happened to you? Have you ever really been saved? And I kept trying to go back, finding somewhere where there was some kind of order. But I didn't have any kind of order. I didn't have anywhere where I knew I was lost. I didn't have anywhere where I changed my mind. I didn't have anywhere where I trusted Jesus. I didn't have anywhere where I believed on him and had any change. But I said, well, I'm all right. I must be all right. But one day... Back in 1970, I'd been in a full-time evangelism five and a half years. And this is a long story, but I'm just telling the part the Holy Ghost wants me to tell. I'd been in full-time evangelism five and a half years, living with frustration, confusion, and doubts. Trying to press on, saying, forget it. Trying to pull the door on it. Trying to preach and minister. Trying all the time to forget what was in my life. And the Holy Ghost kept coming and opening the door. And every time he'd open my door, I'd see myself. And I'd want to slam my door. Slam my door. Oh, I'd want to run. And I used to always want to quit. I was always wanting to say, just throw it down. I don't know what I'm saved. I don't know what I'm lost. I, but I never would tell anybody. Didn't want anybody to know it. But I want to tell you something, folks. Something precious happened to me. Now, I want to back up just a little bit and tell you this. I was asked to go to Camp Zion, Myrtle, Mississippi. And when I went to Camp Zion, I went there, and I saw the power of God on those grounds for the first time I'd ever seen the power of God anywhere. And had such a thirst in my soul for what some people had there that I didn't know what to do. I went the next few years preaching, going, but when the Holy Ghost has made you empty, that can't anybody but Jesus feel the longing that's in your heart. I tell you, I like to die. I like to die. 1970, the month of June, I was helping another evangelist in a crusade. And I was counseling with a young man, and the young man said, 
isn't wanting to be saved and being saved the same. I said, son, there's a difference in being thirsty and going to the fountain and drinking. And Jesus said, if any man drink, let him come unto me. Or if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. I said, there's a difference in going to the fountain and drinking. And the blessed Son of God the Holy, had the Holy Ghost speak to me. And he said, that didn't happen to you that way. And what I'd said was, a man must have a time and place in his life when under the Holy Ghost conviction, he exercises his faith in the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins. And the Spirit of God quickens him, makes him a new creature in Christ Jesus, which in simple language is just to say you've got to have somewhere where you know that you're a sinner or lost and undone, and you trust Jesus and he saves you. He said, didn't you have that? No, sir. Didn't have that. I came home at night, and for weeks, I started studying this blessed book. I canceled a revival meeting in Illinois. I canceled one in Missouri. I canceled one in Mississippi. I was, I'd been arrested by the Holy Ghost. And brother, when he arrests you and brings you to court, the trial is on. Because he's God's prosecuting attorney. In God's side against sinful man. And he showed me what I was. Wasn't a very pretty sight. Here I was a religious preacher full of pride. You talking about religious pride, I had it. I tried to talk God out of it. But you know I found out he won't get talked out of it. Amen. Oh, I was a proud preacher. Proud man. But religious pride almost sent me to hell. And that's the reason I'm grateful tonight that 12 years ago today, 2401 Bryan Street, Tupelo, Mississippi, 11.30 in the morning, when I prayed, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. The knock that I had in my chest erupted. And that was the sweetest consciousness of Jesus I have ever known. Amen. I tell you, it was so good, folks. I reached over and got my Bible put it across my chest and went through the house singing this song, I'll tell the world I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed his name to bear. And I started running down the street telling folks. Went back over my mother and told them, told my wife up at the barbershop where she's getting David a haircut. Then I came back and called people that prayed for me. When I settled down enough to go back home, I started back to my home at 2401 Bryan Street. Tupelo, Mississippi is where I was born physically. I'm 45. I was born August of 17, 1936. I was familiar with the streets of Tupelo as familiar as I am with the palm of my hand. But that day, the streets of Tupelo looked different than they'd ever looked. I tell you, folks, the sky was bluer than I'd ever seen it, and the grass was greener, and even the stores looked different, and the house looked different. I drove along, I kept saying to my wife, look at that, isn't that something, isn't that something, isn't that something? And I saw me with that, uh, drove up in front of my own house, I said, honey, look at that house. I said, that house looks like it's been redecorated. Isn't that pretty? Amen. It hadn't changed, something inside me changed. Man, the next few days, some of the most glorious I was spent. One time I was in the house, I'd sit down in the house on the couch in the den. Won't ever forget it. I'd go over there and sit down on the den. Wouldn't be anybody in there but me. And I'd cross my arms and sit there and grin. I'd think about it. I'd think about how good Jesus was. 
I think about how great it was to have peace for the first time in my life. I think about how good it was to have rest. My wife would come through and look at me, say, grin and grin, and I'd grin back. You say, but you preached about it. Yes, I preached about it, but the half was never told. You say, is it because all those tingling feelings? It wasn't tingling feelings. It was past feelings. So I don't understand that. The Bible says the peace of God passeth all understanding. And the word understanding there means intellect, mind, and even emotions. Praise God, I had something I was a feeling, one feeling. I don't know how to explain that. All I know is it happened. Amen. Well, they won't last me to preach. I said, no. Uh-uh. So I said, well, I'll ever preach again. I said, I don't even have any desire to preach. I said, I just want to do one thing. I want to tell people what Jesus has done for Amen. me. I said, I don't care if I ever preach again. I said, I'd like to if Jesus wants me to. But said, I don't know. I won't forget, four weeks to the day, August the 12th, 530 in the afternoon. Sitting on the altar in Myrtle, Mississippi, waiting for the next service to begin. I told God, I said, well, God, it looks like you don't want me to preach. I'll sell real estate. Boy, when I said that, there's a knot came in my chest. I said, whoop, can't sell real estate. I said, I'll sell in church. And not another knot came. And they got about that size. Yeah. I said, whoops, can't sell in church. And it just swelled up. I just blurted it out. I said, God, I can't do anything else but preach. Amen. When I said that, he interrupted. I took off, had a shot and spell. Now, there's some things I don't know. But praise God, there are two things I know beyond that. I've been saved and I've been called to preach. Amen. Say, so how you know? Because God knows. Amen. And he let me know. That's right. You say, but how can you know it? I spent 33 years not knowing it. And spent 15 years finding out what salvation's not. Yeah. You won't find out what it's not. You come to me. I'll tell you what it's not. I tried to route. I tried to preach it. Tried the church membership. I tried the recreation. I tried the morality. And I tried the reformation. Turned over, giving up everything. Gave up my television set. Thought maybe that'd help. I gave my hunting and fishing equipment away. Thought maybe that'd help. And quit drinking coffee. Thought maybe that'd help. Uh. Said, you should know better. How you know if you're sinner and confused? <laughs> I didn't know any better. Hey, found out later that wasn't what my problem was. My problem was I needed to get saved. And I'm grateful to God that he's long-suffering and the goodness of God leads you to repentance. I'm so grateful that tonight is my spiritual birthday. As I look back to the day when I repented and God repented. I received the Son, the Father received me and made me a son. You say, but preacher, are you glad tonight? Yes, sir. But there's going to be a day I'm more thrilled than tonight. 
That's the day I die. Say you're going to die, Jesus doesn't come on and die. And he, that's a tired change. But dear friend, I can put my head on my pillow tonight because there's an order there. And see, the order of the universe is this. When you get up in the morning, you don't have to wonder which way the sun's coming up. It comes up just like it did the day God put it in order. The universe is in an order. And when God saves you, he puts you in order. He said, well, I don't know that I'm saved, not I'm confused. Well, throw out everything that belongs to the devil. Throw out all of the world's put inside of you. Throw out everything you put inside there, and there won't be anything left but what God put in there. Amen. But if he didn't put anything in there, you can't find it. And if he did, praise God, you can confess it and throw everything out, and it'll be clear as day. Amen. I was ready to tell folks, the way to find out is confess your sin, throw away everything till there's nothing there that you put in there, the devil's put in there, the world's put in there, and if you throw it all away, you can see what God did for you the day he saved you. But if you go back and clear up everything, and there's no order, you know you never got saved. Isn't that good? So that upsets me. It shouldn't. It ought to thrill you. It ought to bless you. You say, well, preacher, how in the world all I have? I don't know. I don't have any explanation of it, like I said this morning, but I got sure got a revelation of it. Man, I know all I can tell you is this. I don't understand why I preached 15 years. I don't understand how I got in. I, but I asked God the same thing. I said, I told God, I said, I don't understand it either, God. Why did you let that happen? And you know what God told me? And I'm sure he told me this for my benefit. He said, I saved you the way I did to help people who just like you. He said, there's some people who got into the churches under pressure, and I saved you to help them. I said, okay, if that's the case, I'll do it. He said, preacher, it'll ruin you if you get saved after you've been religious. Ruin you nothing. I've been saved 12 years. Been back in evangelism since July the 2nd, 1972. Since that time, I've preached 40 meetings a year. I say that to show you the devil's a liar. It won't ruin you. It'll just straighten you out. Amen. You say, but preacher, how do you help folks? I want to tell you, a man who's, not, who's never been a religious sinner has a difficult time helping other religious sinners. Brother, if you're saved out of a background, you weren't religious, you ought to thank God every day you live that Christ got you before religiosity did. Because see, an old sinner who's out in the world, he doesn't care how you come about it. But a religious person has to unlearn so that he can learn correctly. Amen. And it's hard for him to accept it that he's not saved because of the good works he's done and the prayers he's prayed and the money he's given. Amen. So God said, go help him. You say, preacher, you mean tell me there's some folks who are religious not saved? Jesus said there'd be many who prophesied in his name. That word preached. Cast out devils. I've seen preachers saved, deacons saved, Sunday school teachers saved. I've seen church folks saved all across this country. And I don't care whether you're a church member or not a church member. It doesn't make any difference. If you're a sinner, you need to get saved. Amen. But folks, our churches are full of lost folks. You say, well, how did that happen? Listen to me, I'm through. 
First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 1 said, Our gospel came not unto you in word only. You know, you can believe the word only and die and go to hell. Our gospel came not in word only, but in power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance. Dear brother, the power of God must be on that word and the Holy Ghost must be on it. And we're living in a day of professionalism where you get them into your churches and you can't find them. And there's a bunch of folks who said, I believe the word. And then they get under Holy Ghost conviction and the power on it and have to get saved. And somebody said, well, I thought you was already saved. A man may think he's saved who's never been under conviction. But brother, if the power ever gets on the word of God, then it becomes a living word inside you. That's right. for meetings just like this. Right. Where people pray for the power of God to be here. Brother, when it settles in, you find yourself set down on by the Holy Ghost. And you say, well, I believed all the time. Yes, but the gospel must come in power and Holy Ghost. And I love the last phrase, much assurance. And brother, that means in the delivery thereof, in the delivery. And that's when some preachers, they get up and preach salvation, but they're not even sure it's going to do anything to the crowd they're preaching. But it's in the receiving thereof too. Amen. Brother, when God saves you, you don't have to have the preacher to prop you up and tell you you're saved. Amen. He'll tell you. In fact, he's likely to run all over you. Yeah. Amen. Now listen to me and I'm going to close. I found this to be true. I found most non-emotional people have an emotional experience. And most emotional people have a less emotional experience. Because God's going to give you the kind of salvation experience you need to bring honor and glory to him so you can't brag on it. I have a friend. He was going to have salvation his way or no way at all. He's going to have the kind of experience he wanted and he said he's not going to have one till he got one he's shout about. He went eight months lost and knew it. Eight months. Telling God, I'm not going to have it except my way. I was preaching one night and he hit the altar. He's so heavy on the conviction, couldn't hardly breathe. And his wife came over and just tapped him on the arm and said, Jimmy... Just believe. And all of a sudden he forgot what he's looking for. <laughs> and he just blurted out, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And God saved him and surprised him. Amen. <laughs> he went into a daze. He just looked at me with a glory all over his face. Stunned. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't move. Seemed like we sat there 15 minutes. He didn't move. Just looked at me. <laughs> and then he sat up. He looked back at me. And he looked at his wife. He, see, he looked so silly. He got up in the days. Moving slowly. Didn't shout a lick. Didn't even raise his hand. 
Just walked around. I said, somebody come out and talk to him. He just looked at him. I never seen one like that. Never seen another one. I mean, never, never just had one. But he told me something the next night that I've appreciated ever since. He said, Brother Charles, God gave me what I needed, not what I wanted. Amen. But then he said, when God gave me what I needed, I found out that was really what I wanted all the time. God has a salvation without confusion. If you do get confused, throw out everything that's in there, except the order, and you won't be confused. But if you don't have any order, the confusion's not of the devil, it's of God. But not the confusion that God makes, but the light he turns on to show you that you're confused without any order. And all you need to do is to admit you never had a place where you repented and a place where you received Christ and come before God and repentance toward him and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And when you repent in your attitude, and it's an attitude toward God, God looks at the heart and he sees that you've changed your mind about the sin of the world and everybody else. God changes his mind about what he said he's going to do. And when you receive Jesus, God the Father says, I'll receive you and make me the Son. And then he'll give you rest and peace inside your heart. Let's bow our heads while we pray together. Let's stand for our prayer, please. Our Father, ever since last night, we've been working, praying, hoping for somebody to get saved. I thank you for the work that you did last night in saving that dear lady. And that young lady this morning, the glory of it, the preciousness of it, the glory that you've had on this place. But I know in my heart that there's someone here that you want to save tonight. There is someone here who needs to repent of sin and trust Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. Lord Jesus, I want to ask you for your glory in your name to pray unto the Father for us this instant. Lord, I know that you want to do something special. There's someone who needed this, and you're anxious to do something for someone. Now, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want them to play at these instruments just for a moment. And I want you in an attitude of prayer. And I want you to pray that somebody here that God sent this message will repent of sin and trust Jesus Christ right now. Dear friend, there's someone in this tent who needs to slip out from where you are and come and get here at this altar and ask the Lord Jesus to forgive you of your sin. There's someone that's here who needs to come and put your hand on him and say, my substitute, my Christ, my Lord, my sacrifice, I'm going to receive him as my personal Savior. Now God's going to give somebody that opportunity right now. Would you just slide out and come? Would you do it? Just slide out and come. You know who you are. I don't know who you are, but God does. You say, but preacher, God doesn't know. Yes, he does. God knows. Just come on, get right here to this altar.